Amen. Thank you, Anthony, uh, for leading us this morning. And I just want to say a very uh, quick welcome to you. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. And many of you are from our church, some of you are from other churches, but we're really glad that you come hang out with us this morning and excited to have Dr. Aiken with us and that you take a Saturday. I know that school's starting, there's all kinds of things going on, but you take a Saturday out of your time to invest in your marriage, to invest in your parenting. And I know sometimes even coming to things like this almost feels a little bit weird. It's like, if I show up, are people going to think something's wrong with me? Uh, But I just want to encourage you, if you're here, this is worth your time to to say, man, I want a marriage that loves God, pursues Him. I want to be a parent who grows in helping my kids love and follow God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I love that we could begin singing together uh, because the building blocks of a healthy marriage, uh, a healthy parenting, they start with worship. It, it all comes back to worship of the Lord. I was thinking about Psalm 128 that says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who stands in awe of him. And it goes on to say that his wife is going to flourish and his children are going to flourish. But it all starts with the fear of the Lord. So that's what we want to do this morning. So let me just uh, let you know about just a couple things going on. If at any point you need to go out, restrooms are out here to your left as you're heading out. There's food and drinks and things in the lobby. We will have a couple breaks in between sessions this morning just for you to refill and say hi and meet other people. Uh, All of the notes for this morning are available online. So where you signed up, tcbchurch.org slash aim the family. So all of Dr. Aiken's notes are there. So if you want to follow along as he's teaching, or if you want to grab those later, those are available to you. We'd love for you to have those. Uh, Dr. Aiken, we're excited to have you with us this morning. Uh, He's been a huge blessing to me personally as a student at Southeastern and a mentor from afar. And Dr. Aiken serves as the, the head and president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Uh, he has been married to his wife, Charlotte, for over 40 years. They have four children and 14 grandchildren. So he knows what he's talking about. Would you guys just join me in welcoming Dr. Aiken? Thanks, Paul. Well, good morning, and it is good to be with you all. I have a stool up here. I may or may not use it. Uh, I am uh, in the process of recovering from full knee replacement surgery about a month ago. This is actually the first time I have stood uh, and spoke uh, since I had that uh, surgery. Any of y'all in that camp, by the way, gone through that wonderful, glorious, blessed experience? Um, It is not for the weak of heart. After I had the surgery, I met my physical therapist, and I said, this is like really painful. She said, well, it ought to be. They went in there with a drill and a hammer and a saw. And I said, that's really funny. She said, it's really true. I said, they did what? Well, they sawed out what needed to go away. They drilled into the bone going down and going up. I'm already talking all of you out of it, no matter what kind of pain you may have in the future in your knee. And then they put in these new things and with a hammer, ding, ding, ding. And now I understand why I still feel like there is a big giant boulder in both of my knees. But I am making progress, and if uh, I'm able to do what I normally do, I will not sit because I am not wired uh, to do that. But I am glad you're here because I truly believe with all of my heart that after the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the most wonderful thing in the world is marriage. Uh, As Paul mentioned a moment ago, I've been married now over 43 years, uh, four sons, 14 uh, grandkids, and I love being married. 
Uh, I love having children. I love having grandchildren. And um, here's what grieves me. So many people don't experience the joy and blessing that God intended for in the very beginning. When he said, it's not good that a man is alone, I will make him a helper who will perfectly compliment him. And I also know this. Most of you that are here this morning, you have good marriages. In fact, some of you have great marriages. Uh, the fact is, you're here because you want it to even be better. Most of the folks, unfortunately, who really need to be here this morning, they're, they're not here. Uh, they didn't come. And yet, no matter where we are on the spectrum, where we have a great marriage, a good marriage, or, ah, you know, right now we're kind of going through a, a low ebb. Okay, uh, we can all improve. Uh, we can all do better. Uh, I want to, again, put my cards on the table with full, everything I say this morning, uh, I have permission from my wife to say, and I want to be very transparent and, and very honest. I, I love being married. I love being married to Charlotte Aiken. Being married is wonderful, but not all the time. In fact, there are some times, well, let's say it this way, there's never a time in our marriage where I do not love her. There are some times when I don't like her especially when she's not acting like Jesus. I try to remind her, honey, you're supposed to be like Jesus. Of course, as soon as I open my stupid mouth saying things like that, so you don't really do that. Of course I do. We all do. We all say stupid things in our marriages. We all do dumb things in our marriages. And as a result of that, sometimes we're not on a mountaintop. Sometimes we're down in a valley, and things don't seem to be kind of clicking so well. And here's the question. What do you do when those kind of things happen? Because we're all going to go through difficult experiences. Some people tragically make the decision to walk away. But the others say, you know what? <clears throat> I made a commitment to you. Till death do we part. And whether it's good or bad, wonderful or not so wonderful, we're in this to the end. All right, so we got a problem. What do we do when the problem comes? And if you're committed to it, you work through it. And I've discovered over and over and over and over in four plus decades of being married, there is always joy and delight on the other side of working through those difficult times. So what we're going to do today is talk about God's good design for marriage and tomorrow morning family. And here's what we're going to discover. God gives a twofold job description to every member of the family. One, two for the husband, two for the wife, two for the children, two for parents. Now, we're going to uh, begin uh, this morning by talking to husbands. All right, dads, husbands, what is your twofold job description when it comes to your marriage? God tells you to do two things in relationship to your wife. Number one, you love her. And number two, you grow to know or understand her. So you love her and you seek to understand her. And we're going to work on that this morning. Wives, what does God call you to do? God calls you, and I know it's a dirty word, but I'll fix it later. God calls you to submit to your husband, and God calls you to honor or respect your husband. That's your twofold job description. Then in the morning, we'll see that God calls children to obey mom and dad and to honor mom and dad all the days of our lives. And then God calls parents, and in particular dads, to encourage their children and to educate their children. And so we can expand that out, but that is the twofold job description that God gives each member 
of the family. So I want to begin with the husbands. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to join me in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, because in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22, and going through chapter 6, verse 4, you have the most detailed uh, teaching in the Bible of what God designed marriage and family life to be. And if you have the, uh, the notes that are online uh, that you can download or you can pull up, we're going to be on page 2 and page 3, and we're going to begin this morning on talking about the subject, When a Man Loves a Woman, How to Be the Husband God Meant for You to Be. And we're going to begin in verse 25 and go down through verse 33 with the husbands. And you'll note that God says there are five particular aspects or five particular ways that he calls a husband to love his wife. And here they are. Number one, God says, love your wife sacrificially. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, guys, you ought to mark that word love because there are two things. There are actually three things that are important about it. Number one, the word love is a verb. It's an action word. Number two, it's in the present tense, which in the Greek language means it is talking about consistent, ongoing, constant action. You are to continually be loving your wife. Thirdly, it's an imperative. It's a word of command. In other words, God does not suggest to husbands, love your wives. God commands you, you love your wife, and you do so continually. Now, that might raise an interesting question. Danny, I thought love is an emotion. No, love is a decision. Love is a choice. Love is an act of your will. And notice what Paul said, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, your love for your wife is to work out like this. Men, look to the cross. Reflect upon how God in Christ has loved you. Now you go and in the exact same way, love your wife. In other words, it may have an emotional component to it. Uh, Mine does. Uh, I'm 64 years old, been married 43 years. I still get warm and fuzzy feelings when I'm snuggling up with my wife. I just do. And so that's going to be a part of it. But it's not going to be there all the time. And that is not what Paul is talking about here. Because here's what Paul is saying. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, you weren't lovely. You weren't attractive. There was nothing that you could give God that he needed. He didn't love you because you're lovely. He loved you in spite of the fact you're not lovely. And you see, some of us think, well, I'll love her if. I'll love her because. I'll love her if she does lovely things. I'll love her because she's a really great lady. No. The Bible says you love her, period. You love her even when she is not lovely. Why? Because that's exactly the way Jesus loved you. So our love is a sacrificial love. But secondly, it's a sanctifying love. Now let me explain this one. Look at the end of verse 25 and then verse 26 and 27. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He did so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, 
without a spot or a wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, you might say, Danny, that makes all the sense in the world when you're thinking of Christ and the church, but how does that work in marriage? Well, let me just highlight one word, sanctify, sanctify. The word sanctification is a big theological word, but all it really means is to grow in Christ-likeness. Sanctification is the biblical doctrine that talks about how we grow to be more like Jesus. So here's how it works in marriage. Let me do it in the form of a question. Guys, because your wife is married to you, does that help her or hinder her in growing to be more like Jesus? Because she's married to you, does it help or hinder her in growing to be more like Jesus? And guys, I have to be honest, sometimes I'm not in the help category, I'm in the hinder category. I will say things. I will do things that don't help her grow to be more like Jesus. And yet the Bible has told me if you want to love your wife well, you will be her biggest cheerleader in helping her to grow to be more like Jesus. Let me do it in this way. Question. Do you have a goal in your life to make your wife successful? Now, if I were to ask the women that, all of them would immediately say, well, of course, one of my goals in life is to help my husband be successful. I guarantee you, most men do not think in that way. But we should. Now, when I mean by successful, when I say successful, I don't mean by the way the world measures success. I don't care what the world thinks. I mean by the way God measures success. And it comes back to helping her to grow to be more like Jesus. And so you're her biggest cheerleader. You're her biggest, biggest enabler to be more like Christ. So your love is sanctifying. But then number three, your love should be a sensitive kind of love. Look there at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now here's Paul's argument. You pay attention to you. Uh, you uh, are sensitive to you. You know when you're having a good day or a bad day. And so in the same way that you pay careful attention to you, you need to pay careful attention to your wife. Now, let me illustrate it this way. I believe when we get married, God gives men what I call a marital radar system. Now, I need to be honest. When you first get that radar system, it's not very well constructed. You've got a job over your lifetime to take that radar system and work to make it better and better and better and better. Because when you first get married, bottom line, it doesn't work very well at all. I know this absolutely from personal experience. When we first got married, we, we were young, by the way, so I want to give myself a little slack here. We were 21 and 19. Uh, but when we got married, uh, we were living in Dallas, Texas, and one Saturday night, uh, Charlotte had made some really good sandwiches for dinner that evening. And then she put on the table this Tupperware thing that when you opened it up and looked inside, if you had the aid of a magnifying glass, you might think that what was in there was once potato chips. But when you put them in your mouth, they were so stale and gummy, you really weren't sure what they were. And so I thought very kindly and graciously, I said, honey, I don't like these. They're too small and stale. And I, I would like to have some new potato chips. Well, 
When we first got married, she's outgrown it, by the way. When we first got married, my wife was aspiring to be in the Fugality Hall of Fame. I mean, she was the most frugal human being you've ever met. She saved everything. And so she looked at me and she said, well, uh, darling, when this container is empty, you can have some new potato chips. That was not the answer that I was wanting or looking for. And so I came back. I thought very kindly, and I said, well, uh, sweetheart, when I came in here a while ago, I passed the pantry, which is truth. And I saw in there a brand-new bag of laced potato chips that have never been touched by human hands, and I, I really would like to have those. And she said to me, well, like I said, sugar dumpling, when, when this container is empty, you can have the new ones. And so I did something a man would only do, number one, at about the age of 21, and in the first six months of his marriage. I stood up from the table, I took her Tupperware thing, and I dumped those potato chips in her kitchen floor. Oh, I know, ladies, don't you move, you, you stay back. I, I understand, I ought not to be here today, I should be in a graveyard somewhere, I understand this. Oh, it gets worse. As I was doing this, I said, this one's empty now. Why don't you go get those others? I know, I know, I know. You say, um, did she go get those others? Are you kidding me? She didn't do a number of things around our house for about a month, best I remember. It, it, was, not a, it was not my best day. Now, I, 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 I thought it made a great point. Oh, it made a great point. You are an idiot, Danny Aiken. You see... I learned it doesn't go well with your relationship with your wife to dump stuff in her kitchen floor. That just doesn't do it. And needless to say, in 42-plus years since then, I've never done that again. In fact, the thought has never even crossed my mind again. If it did, I would kick it out as fast as I possibly can because that is not the way you love your wife. Now, here's the deal. When we first got married, I was pretty insensitive to a lot of things. I haven't arrived, but guys, I'm going to tell you something. She can walk into the room, and I can tell you by the way she walked into the room, happy girl, unhappy girl. I can say, honey, how's your day been? And by what comes out of her mouth in terms of, not the word, the tone, the tone. I know this is going to be a good day. This may be a different kind of day. The look in her eyes, the way her face, because I have spent four decades Paying attention, learning to understand this wonderful creature called a woman that God gave me. Here's the problem. Many men have the uh, marital radar system. They just don't give it any attention. And, guys, it breaks her heart when you're not paying attention. It grieves her when you seem to indicate by the way you conduct yourself, I don't really care what's going on in your world. And so you love her well by developing that marital radar system and being sensitive to her as a woman. But then number four, you love her in a satisfying kind of a way. Look at verses 29 and 30. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Two key words there. Two key words there. Nourishes and cherishes. Both of them are in the present tense, continuous action, so the Bible says you and I are to continually nourish our wives, feed, and we're to continually cherish our wives or treat as special. Let me ask you a question. Does your wife feel fed 
by your love. You're like her sustenance. You're like her food and water. Does your wife feel cherished by your love? If I were to get with your wife on the break, and I were to ask her this question, and she answered honestly, would you be pleased with the answer? Here would be the question. Do you believe that in your husband's heart after Jesus, you have first place? Do you believe in your husband's heart after Jesus, you have first place? And unfortunately, I fear that many women today would say, no, no. I don't even know if I make the top five. I don't even know if I make the top ten. And you see, God's word is so clear. After the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the way, if you love him supremely, you'll love your wife better. Those who really are madly in love with Jesus usually are madly in love with their wives too. But after the Lord Jesus, he wants her to have the most important place in your heart and in your life. And if she knows that, I'm telling you, she will feel nourished and she will feel cherished and precious. But then number five, your love should be a specific love. And just drop down to the first part of verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Uh, The King James says it this way, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself. Now, I could spend a long time here. I, I don't have the time. I'm not going to. But here's the bottom line. Paul is telling you and me that in your relationship with your wife, you ought to be a one-woman kind of man. You are in love with, committed to, devoted to, and in love with only one woman, and that one woman is your wife. You are a one-woman kind of man. A couple of years ago, you may remember, the uh, former vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, was made fun of by the secular media. Of course, they made fun of him and Donald Trump all the time, but they made fun of, uh, of uh, Mike Pence because he had shared just in passing that he had made a commitment to his wife a number of years ago, I think when they first got married, that he would never be alone with a woman other than she. And he just got lambasted. I mean, he just got taken to the cleaners for being a Neanderthal, for being a sexist, for being anti-feminist, yada, 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 yada. In the process, they came to recognize, though, that uh, among ministers in particular, there is a thing known as the Billy Graham rule. Have you ever heard of the Billy Graham rule? Well, the Billy Graham rule is this. When Billy Graham married his wife, Ruth, he made a commitment. And he honored it for almost 70 years till the day she died. And his commitment was, I will never again be alone with a woman other than you. Now, you may accuse of Dr. Graham of being a Neanderthal, of being a sexist, of being out of touch with modern mores. But one thing you would not accuse Dr. Graham of was being guilty of adultery. You say, why? Because if you're never alone with a woman other than your wife, guess what? You're not going to commit adultery. Adultery takes place when you're someplace with someone you don't belong to be with. You don't need to be there. And by the way, I didn't know about the Billy Graham rule. I I didn't. But when I married Charlotte, just intuitively, I thought, you know, I want to finish my race being faithful to this woman. I want to go to my grave having been true to her. And so I told her, I said, honey, I'm going to make a promise to you. And by the way, 43 years into it, I've never broken this promise. I will never be alone with a woman but you. Never. 
and I never have. Now, I've been accused of being a Neanderthal. I've even had students, you know, the younger generation, some of you folks. Experience will make you smarter. We say, what do you mean by that? I mean by that when you're in your 20s, you're dumb. And you're welcome. I was not just dumb. I was terminally stupid in my 20s. So I'm just, you know, just joined the party. But you'll get older and you realize, you know, he really wasn't as stupid as I thought he was. Uh, I've been accused of all sorts of things. But I've never been accused of adultery. Because if I'm never alone with a woman other than Charlotte, it's just not, I'm, I'm not going to commit adultery in a room full of people. And you say, well, I, you got a problem, don't you? Yes. Uh, you think women are seductresses, don't you? No. But then you have a problem with women. No. I have a problem with me. So what is wrong with you? I'm just a sinner like you are. And I know that if I'm in the wrong place, at the wrong time, with the wrong person, I don't care how much you love Jesus. Your hormones can override your brain and you will do things in a moment of passion you would never do in your right mind. You know that's true. You know it is. And so I would just rather keep at arm's length any possibility that would open the door to me being unfaithful to my wife and as a result, bring shame to the name of Jesus, hurt the people in my church, break the heart of my wife, and lose forever the respect of my children. Now listen to me. You commit adultery, your kids may eventually get back around to forgiving you. I pray that they do. But they'll never look at you the same way. And I'm just telling you, a few moments of carnal pleasure is not worth losing all of that. It just isn't. And so I would rather be overly cautious and careful than to be foolish and do something that will absolutely wreck my life forever. And so the Bible says you love this lady in such a way, here's the best way to say it, so that she knows, your children know, your friends know, even people who don't like you know. Well, tell you one thing, he is for sure a one woman kind of man. It is crystal clear he is head over heels in love with and devoted to that lady. So the Bible teaches us that there are a number of ways that we love our wives. Then secondly, growing out of that, the Bible also says that we love our wives by knowing or understanding them. And I, I give you the reference. I think it actually grows out of Ephesians 5. But in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, Peter says to husbands, Husbands, live with your wives, the, the old King James said, according to knowledge. And that's not a bad translation. More modern translations will say, live with your wives with understanding. Well, the two really complement. To know someone is to understand them, and to understand them, you've got to know them. So we need to know this wonderful creature called a woman, our wife, that God has given us. So what does it look like, guys, to know well the woman that God has given you? If you look on page 3, I've taken the seven things that I gave you in the quick outline, and I've expanded them out into the seven ideas with a paragraph explanation. And I'm going to walk through this very quickly, but I want to tell you something. Number one, I believe this is absolutely biblically faithful. This is true to what the Bible says about a woman. Secondly, I guess I've been doing marriage conferences now about 30 years. That means I have talked to tens of thousands of people. I have never once now, not even one time, had a woman come up to me after this session and say to me, you know those seven things you went through? Those aren't true for me. I don't care about those things. Those things don't matter to me. I've never had that happen. 
I have had, though, a few women quietly walk by on the break and say to me, uh, Brother Danny, Dr. Aiken, those seven things are exactly who I am. I wish my husband knew. And then they walk on. And so, guys, I'm just telling you, I've got students at Southeastern that take this page and they put it on their refrigerator, and it stays there for years and years and years just to remind them, because men need to be reminded. We have short memories. We're messed up, you know, in areas in terms of our memory. We don't, we don't forget things about, like football, basketball, and baseball scores and things. You know, we don't forget the fact that, for example, the Atlanta Braves won 14 consecutive National League Eastern Division titles. But how many, how many World Series, brothers? One, thank you very much. One, not, not two, one. And yes, I still live with that burden. I still live with the debacle of the Falcons blowing the Super Bowl like some of you. I'm still in depression. I'm on drugs. I'm in therapy. I'm kidding. No, that is true. But there's some things I can't ever forget. But things like this, no. My wife actually says to me playfully, you know, you really ought to do marriage conferences at least once a month. And I'm like, uh, like why? For you. You have short-term memory issues, so okay, I, I have them, so I do them more than once a month. But I'm just telling you, this is who they are. And if you will just make a commitment to begin to work in these areas, I'm just telling you, it will bless her in ways you will never, ever get by any other means. So very quickly, here we go. Number one, you bless your wife by being a spiritual leader. That is a man of courage, conviction, commitment, very strong masculine words, but also a man of compassion and a man of character. In other words, you above all things in your life are a man of God. Now, I'll be very clear and very quick. Being a man of God does not take a great intellect. Being a man of God takes a great heart with someone who is committed to honoring the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything else. I do what I do today. I'm in the ministry today because of a man who had an eighth grade education and was a simple farmer in Douglasville, Georgia, and that man was my granddaddy. My granddaddy Galloway was not brilliant, he was not well educated. He was very poor all the days of his life. He was a dirt farmer. He not only was a farmer for a season, he was also the janitor of the local church that he attended. But my granddaddy was one of the godliest men I've ever known. In fact, he was so godly. He died when I was 14. When I was about 25 years of age, I was invited to go back and preach at the Victory Baptist Church in Douglasville, Georgia. Today, up on a hill, my granddaddy, my grandmother, my dad, and my mom are all buried there. That morning when the pastor stood up to introduce me, he didn't do like Paul did a moment ago, President of Southeastern Seminary, da 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 He said, this morning, folks, we're so honored to have as our preacher Mr. Galloway's grandson. Oh, his name is Danny Aiken. Now, that's how I was introduced. And then he said this, how many of you... Remember Charlie Galloway. Almost every little country church, almost every hand went up. He had been dead for a decade. And then he went on to say, Charlie Galloway. He's the man you could call at 2 o'clock in the morning in an emergency, and he'd beat your house at 2.15. He was the man that would do anything for anybody who was in need. He was God's choice servant, and he was. He'd been dead a decade. When you've been dead a decade, what will they say about you? What will they say about me? Will they even remember us? You see, it doesn't take a great intellect. It just takes a great heart 
that is set on loving the Lord Jesus. And here's the deal, guys. When your wife knows that you're following Jesus, she'll follow you. When your wife knows that you trust Jesus, she will trust you. And so being a man of God actually is like the umbrella over which all these other six things are present. So be a man of God, you'll bless her. Number two, bless your wife by giving her personal affirmation and appreciation. Now, this is a really good paragraph. Praise her for her personal attributes and qualities. Praise her virtues as a wife, a mother, and a homemaker. Now, it's underlined for a reason. Openly commend her in the presence of others as a marvelous mate and friend and lover and companion. Help her feel that to you. No one is more important in this world. Now, here's my thesis. I believe most men do appreciate their wives, but that is not the issue. The issue is, does your wife feel appreciated? Most men do appreciate their wives. That's not the issue. The issue is, by the things you say and the things you do, does your wife feel appreciated. Several years ago, I was invited to preach at a church, speak at a church in another state, so I want to make that clear. And about two weeks before I got there, I received this anonymous card. I've kept it all these years. It's anonymous. I'll never know who sent it to me until I get to heaven. But think about this. I'm really not that popular, and yet this lady took the time to get my address and send me this card before the marriage conference at her church. And I want you to listen to what she wrote. Dear Dr. Aiken, I hope you received my card before the marriage conference at our church. I recently married a member of the church, and we will be attending your seminar. This past Valentine's Day, he did not acknowledge that romantic holiday, and I was very hurt. I watched as my co-workers received flowers. To make things worse, he joked about it in front of one of my friends. My mom told me I should have known what to expect. He never gave me flowers while we were dating. This may sound selfish and petty on my part. I'm just so discouraged. After I come home from my job, I do all the housework and the cooking and the shopping. I wouldn't mind so much if he would just occasionally show his appreciation. The only time he has ever given me a gift is on my birthday and Christmas. It would mean so much to me if just once he would give me something just because he loves me. I exercise. I try to look nice. I iron all his clothes and I cook his favorite meals. He has thousands of dollars to invest in the stock market. But he has never spent one dollar on a romantic gift for me. I know flowers will eventually wilt, but they are so beautiful. I'm afraid my love will eventually wilt. Will you pray for me? And that's it. And you know, I've often thought that if I met this guy and I were to ask him, hey man, do you appreciate your wife? I'm almost certain he would say, well, of course I do. But that's not the issue. The issue is, does she feel appreciated. Now, you may be here this morning, you say, well, well, Brother Danny, I want to make sure that she knows I appreciate her. 
How do I do that? Well, if you look in the manual on the very next section, you'll see uh, a section that I took from Gary Chapman's book, Toward a Growing Marriage, and it's suggestions that wives have made to husbands how to make romance and sex relations more meaningful. Now, you may say, well, Danny, there's a relationship between uh, sex and being and feeling appreciated. You better believe it. Your wife feels loved and affirmed and appreciated, she's going to feel more romantic as well. And so I'm not going to go through the whole list, but here's just some of the things that ladies have said. Look at number one. Show me more affection. Give me some attention throughout the day. Come in after work, kiss me on my neck, and ask me about my day. And I might add and hang around to see what she has to say. That might be a a good thing to, to add on there as well, all right? Number two, spend more time in preparation for intimacy. Number four, be more sympathetic when I'm really sick. Uh, Number six, accept me as I am, even when you see the worst side of me. Number seven, tell me that you love me at times other than when we're in bed. Phone sometimes just to say I love you. And don't be ashamed to tell me I love you in front of others. Number eight, I don't get. While I'm bathing or showering, find some soft music on the radio, dim the lights, light a candle. I mean, ladies, what are y'all doing? And they're having a seance or something. I mean, what's the, what's the deal with, I mean, God gave us electricity. I mean, what, what's the deal with the candles and stuff? Well, I don't understand it, but I know it's true. Uh, my wife, oh my goodness, there are so many candles in our house. If we were to have an outage in Raleigh-Durham, there are enough candles to take care of every single home in the entire Triangle area because my wife is madly in love with candles. It doesn't matter if they're expensive. doesn't matter if they're big or small. No, many times, like when I'm traveling like this, I'll, I'll go by the Cracker Barrel, which, by the way, all women find romance at the Cracker Barrel, and it's not over the food, by the way. But anyway, so I go by the Cracker Barrel, and I will buy her sometimes little sets of three or four candles, and then when we go home, I get home later, what I usually do is hide it under her pillow at night and then when we go to bed she's moving stuff around and she's like well what's you got these for me all I know is it has usually really good consequences so I'm just telling you (laughs) they're just things that we might understand but they certainly understand now look at this one number 10 put a star by it honor Christ as the head of our home your wife finds it romantic when you are the spiritual leader of the home. If you look over on page, uh, look at number 25. Pray with me about the problems and victories you're having. Your wife is affirmed and she appreciates it when you pray about issues and matters in your family. Now, guys, I know none of us can take all 35 and like try to implement them at once, but what you can do is take three or four. I'm going to give attention to these three or four for the next six months. All right, you get them working, get three or four more. In a year's time, you're now doing nine to ten things you weren't doing before, and I'm just telling you, she'll notice. She's watching, and it will bless her beyond measure. I know you appreciate her. I know that. But does she feel appreciated? Number three, bless your wife by showing her personal affection or romance. Personal affection or romance. Shower her with timely and generous displays of affection like we just saw on that 35-point list. Tell her how much you care for her with a steady flow of words, cards, flowers, gifts, and just common courtesies. And remember, guys, affection is the environment in which wonderful things like sexual union are enjoyed more fully and more often 
and a wonderful marriage develop. Now, this is the one place I'll stay a little extra time. And let me go ahead and tell you in advance, this is the most painful part of my whole time with you for the men. The ladies are going to love this. You're going to be bruised and battered, but you will be for the better when I'm finished. So here we go. Most men do not have a clue what romance is from their wife's perspective. You don't know. You don't get it. If you doubt me, ask her on the way home. And if you give her permission to be completely honest, she'll say, no, Brother Danny was right. I don't think you have a romantic bone in your body. Then just get ready. Now, you say, well, how do you know that? Well, first of all, I've been doing this a long time. And secondly, like an idiot, I actually asked my wife that question one day, and she just gave me the full metal jacket right there on the spot. We've been married about 15 years, living in Dallas. Came home one day, and I'd been reading a lot of books on marriage and family because I'm in ministry. I do marriage counseling, premarital counseling, and so on. All the books said the same thing. Women need romance. Women crave romance. Well, she seemed to be a pretty happy girl to me. So I came in. She was in the kitchen. I said, honey, let me ask you a question. Am I romantic? Which I knew the answer was, well, honey, you're the most romantic human being on the planet. Of course you're romantic. Well, she turned her head around, her head around so fast, I thought she damaged her neck. And she had a look in her eyes I had never seen before, but I knew just like that, uh, you just asked the, the wrong question. And so she looked at me, she said, wow, 15 years before you ever asked, there is a God in heaven. Then she said, let me preface what I'm about to say. I do love you. I could not imagine. This is verbatim. I mean, this is like emblazoned in my brain. I could not, be, I could not imagine being married to anybody but you. And you're a wonderful daddy to our four sons. But now that you've asked after all these years, no. I don't think you would recognize romance if it bit you on the nose. Well, being the typical male, that hurt my feelings. And it made me mad. So I came back at her. I said, well, huh, all these books I've been reading say you need it. She said, well, those books you've been reading are correct. And I said, well, fine. I might start trying to give it to you sometime. You know, you go buy it at Walmart or something. I don't know, but I'm going to try to give it to you. And she said, well, just the fact that you're going to try. I find that romantic. So I thought, well, this is not going to be a, a big deal at all. Well, about a week later, Friday night, I do not remember where the boys were. Either they were spending the night somewhere with some friends, or we'd already put them to bed. But either way, what I do remember is they weren't around. Charlotte was lying in the floor with a pair of blue jeans on and a T-shirt. And I looked around reminding myself that there were no children in the near vicinity. Looked at her on the floor, and I thought, romance time. <laughs> so I moved over very carefully, and I thought very uh, tenderly. Got down on the floor and began to massage her back and neck. This would be a good way to get started. Well, about 15 seconds into it, she turned around looked at me and said, uh, why don't you go on and leave me alone and quit bothering me? So I stepped back and I said, well, I thought that was romantic. And she said, uh, no, it's not romantic now. And it won't be romantic later either. I knew what that meant too. And so I went to bed early by myself. I mean, there was no future in staying up late that night. I mean, I understood what she meant. Well, Saturday rolled around and my wife loves this stuff from Avon called Skin So Soft. How many of y'all are familiar with Skin So Soft? Let me see your hands. Well, you all ought to be because you that know, know that Skin So Soft is three things for you. Number one, if you got dry skin, 
man, that stuff will slime you up something good. That is some of the slimiest stuff on the planet. Number two, it is sweet smelling. So if you want to smell sweet, Put you some skin so soft on. I don't suggest a lot of it, guys, but you will smell sweet. But number three, and the most wonderful thing of all, it is a marvelous insect repellent. It will keep the bugs off of you. So you get slimed, you smell good, bugs leave you alone. What a great deal. So she takes a shower, and at the end of a shower, she will often put skin so soft all over her body. Then she gets a towel, and she wipes it off. So I come into the bedroom. Still a little bruised from the night before, but it's all right. This is a new day. And so I pick up her towel that was lying on the bed by now, and and I I smell it. And I said, you know, um, this towel smells like you. And she said to me, now that's romantic. All right, you're on the front row, so I'm going to pick on you. That's your wife? All right, you go home this afternoon and say, baby, you smell like a towel. It ain't going to work. You'll, you'll be needing to come over to the hotel with me, and I'll get your room next to mine, and you'll be over there. Because all of us know that telling your wife she smells like a towel is not romantic. And so I said to her, you don't have to make fun of me. I'm really trying with this romance stuff, and you don't have to make fun of me. And she said, well, I thought it was romantic. And she walked out of the bedroom. Now, if she were here, she could verify everything I've just shared except what I'm about to share now because she walked out of the room. I actually said a prayer. I mean, what else do you do when you're at the end of your rope? And I I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I'd like to give this woman romance, but obviously I'm not equipped to give her romance. And so, sweet Jesus, you're just going to have to step in and meet all her needs because I'm obviously not capable of doing this one. And God, in his amazing grace, said, here, dummy, here's how it works. And I'm serious. It was almost like instantly it just popped into my mind. Well, here's how it works. And listen, this is not inspired like the Bible. But it's about the closest thing you're ever going to get. And I, did they have to pay for this, by the way, Paul? Free? Oh, my gosh. You ought to pay $1,000 for what I'm about to give you in the next three minutes. Because I'm just telling you, you're going to know what romance is going out of here. And I don't care where your marriage is today. If it's here, it's going here. Because you're now going to understand how women perceive romance. And here it is in a way that we'll all understand as men. Romance for a woman is a game. It's a game. Now, it's a very specific game. It is the game of hide-and-go-seek. They hide it, you seek it. And that's it. Now, if you find it, it's glorious. If you don't, you've got two options. Option number one, get mean, but not ashamed, and just make, make everybody miserable, okay? You can do that. Or number two, you can remember, it's a game. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. It's a game, hide-and-go-seek. They hide, we seek. Now, there's a second part to the game. It is not fair. But it's their game, and they get to make the rules. And here it is. Now, stay with me. What is romantic to your wife today? They know. It will not be romantic tomorrow. They move the romance. And here is the second part of this, and it's really not fair, but it's true. Sometimes they're so good at hiding it, they don't know where it is. (laughs) But they expect you to still find it. And so I can't get on my knee now, but if I could, I'd say, I'm like, Charlotte, honey, I'm begging you in Jesus' name. Just tell me where it is, and I'll go get it. And she's like, well, I don't know, but you better find it in a hurry. So, and here's the deal. They hide it. It's some of the weirdest, bizarre stuff. I mean, it just makes no sense. I shared this with a group of students at Southern Seminary now, been 20 years ago. 
about two weeks later, this guy comes running into my office, right past my secretary's. I got to talk to Dr. Aiken. I got to talk to Dr. Aiken. It won't take me a minute. I, wait, 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 what is the deal? He sticks his head and he says, I found the romance last night at 7-Eleven. I said, come on in. I never found it there. I'd like to know where, where they put it. And so he comes in and he says, well, last night we were going home from a church function. He's in the ministry. He said, I need to get some gas. So I stopped by 7-Eleven. I got to get gas. He said, Dr. Aiken, I can't help it. I'm addicted to the big gulp. I, I, if I go by 7-Eleven, I have to stop and get the giant, was it 64 ounces? I mean, it's a monster. I got to get a big gulp. He said, I went in to get the big gulp and pay for the gas. And as I was about to walk up to the cashier, I walked by the coffee stand. And it hit me just like that. We've been married 15 years. In all those years, I don't think even one time I've ever got my wife a fresh cup of coffee unless she asked me to. So Dr. Aiken and I went over, and I got a cup of coffee, and I poured it, and I mixed it just like she likes it. Went up and paid for the gas and the Big Gulp and the coffee. Walked out to the car. It wasn't hard. I hid the coffee behind the Big Gulp. Got in the car. Sat down. She looked at me and with a grin said, well, I see you got your Big Gulp like you always do. He said, I did. And I got this for you. He said, oh, Dr. Aiken, when we got home, it was good. Now, I again... <laughs> I didn't ask him to expound upon that. I'm just telling you that your wife, like all women, are just really creative at hiding the romance in different kinds of places. But here's the deal. If you will just pay attention, you will find the places where she normally goes. Just track them back, and by God's goodness and kindness, you will eventually find it. But here's the deal, and I move on. Just the fact that you're going to try will bless her. Just the fact that you're going to try she will find that romantic, all right? I want to honor the time, so very quickly, let me put five and six together, four and five together. Bless your wife by initiating intimate conversation, and as you do, speak the truth in love by being honest and open. And here's the key. Talk with your wife at the feeling level, heart to heart. Listen to her thoughts, her heart, about the events of her day with sensitivity interest, and concern. Now, you say, Danny, you, you miswrote. Listen to her words. No, listen to her thoughts. Because, you see, your wife is a master of code language. You do know this by now, don't you? Code language. Words mean nothing. It's the feeling behind the words that means everything. The classic example, you come home from work, you find your wife, maybe in the kitchen, maybe in the uh, family room, I don't know. Walk over, give her a kiss on the cheek. You say, honey, how's your day been? And she says, fine. Now, does that fine mean fine? No, that fine means bad. But if you're not paying attention, you go into the family room and get that wonderful male therapy device, the remote control, and off you go. ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN Classic, the Weather Channel, Fox, and your blood pressure goes down. You're, you're grooving. But about four hours later, it hits you. She didn't fix me supper. Men always get sensitive when they get hungry, and so you, you go looking for them. By now, she's probably in the bedroom. And if you're smart, you're cautious, and you stick your head in, and you say, um, Honey, it's like uh, anything bothering you? And what does she say? No. But does no mean no? No. No means yes. And it also means this. You weren't interested in finding out four hours ago? I ain't about to tell you now. Sweet Jesus will return to this earth before you know what's bothering me. Now, you could say, well, they shouldn't act like that. Yeah, but you should have been listening. Because in her female way, she screamed at you, I've had a bad day. And here's what I learned. 
30 minutes, no TV, no mail, no cell phone, sitting down at the kitchen table. Honey, come sit down with me. Let's just talk. Revolutionizes the rest of the evening because I was listening and talking to her on the heart level. Then 6 and 7, we're going to take our break. Provide home support and stability. How do you do that? Number seven, by demonstrating family commitment. The first sentence says it all. After the Lord Jesus, put your wife and your family first. Brothers, what are your priorities? What are your priorities? What's number one? What's number two? What's number three? What are the things you are absolutely going to make sure get done? And look, I don't care who you are this morning. We all should have the same priorities. You say, how do you know? Because I've read the Bible. Jesus, wife, children, church, whatever it comes after that. Probably for most men, your vocation. Can you give me those again? Yep. Jesus, wife, children, church, vocation. You say, ah, my vocation is higher than that. Well, then it's in the wrong place. It's in the wrong place. Well, my vocation is number one. Well, then number one, you're an idolater. Because anything that takes Jesus' place at number one is an idol. You're telling me, tell me what belongs after Jesus in your life, other than your wife and then your kids. And guys, here's the deal. You move anything else up beyond, beyond those three, you're just playing the fool. You're playing the fool. Here's what I know. Comes with age. I'm 64. Within the next five to six years, I will retire from Southeastern Seminary. God gives me help. When I retire, if I don't screw it up before then in the next five years, they, they, they'll probably do something for me, maybe have a party, a banquet. Probably give me a watch, which I don't need because I'm an Iron Man watch person. They give me a $1,000 watch, I'm going to sell it and give the money to this. I don't care about stuff. I, I wear an Iron Man watch in my wedding ring. That's just who I am, all right? But they'll, they'll get And then they'll give me some boxes. What are the boxes for? Put my stuff in over at my office. That's what those boxes are for. And so I'll leave on a Friday. And guess what? On Monday, somebody will be sitting in my chair. I'm imminently replaceable. Five years later... They may talk about me every once in a while. Ten years later, my name will never come up. I'll be at the end of my life. And at the end of my life, who will really care about Danny Aiken? I'll tell you who will care. The Lord Jesus. My wife. My children. And my grandchildren. Why in the world would I play the fool and give my best time to things that in the long run don't matter that much at all. Your wife knows that after Jesus, she has first place. Your kids have second place. She will believe in you. She will trust you. She will follow you anywhere. Because you've earned the right because of the way that you love her. Father, thank you for this first session. Thank you for the counsel and wisdom you give men. Help us, Lord, to take it to heart, but don't leave it there. Help us to live it out, that indeed we will show others what it means to be the kind of man, the kind of husband, the kind of father that loves the Lord Jesus in such a passionate way. He cannot help but love his wife and love his children in the same way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to take about a 10-minute break. Uh, they're going to put up on the screen the time so you know when you need to be back in here. We'll come back in, and I'll get to talk more sweetly and kindly to the ladies.